I'm always painfully aware of what a dull person I am when I have to come up after Hannah and, and preach. <laughs> oh, love it. Also, with the baptism and the barbecue happening, if you have not been baptized, it's not too late. So um, fill out on your welcome card, indicate that you'd like to be baptized. And I just want to say, as a, by way of reminder, that baptism is really what we do at the beginning of our walk of faith. It's not like we achieve some sort of level where now we're ready to be baptized. It's, it's that initial thing. When you first come to place your faith in Jesus Christ, that you, you, baptism is the right thing to do. It's, it's a way for us to help you understand what has happened in your life. And so uh, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't feel like you're not ready. If you've come to faith in Christ and you haven't been baptized, now's the time to get baptized. And if you want to connect with us on that, put it on your welcome card or email us and we can, we can do that. So um, let us pray, though. We, uh, we believe that actually when we pray, things change, uh, even all the way across the world. And some tragic things have happened over this weekend and this last week. And we might not be able to see the answers to our prayers all the time, but um, we pray in faith that God does hear, and out of His goodness, He responds to that. So would you join me in in prayer this morning? God, there's been an earthquake uh, over this weekend in Nepal, and our hearts are broken as we read the stories and see the broken relationships, broken families, loss of life, loss of uh, houses, uh, damage to beautiful things that people have made, historic things, um, the continued aftershocks and the fear that that inspires, Lord. And, and so our hearts are, are, are mourning and are broken for the people of Nepal. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to them. And we think of your promises in Scripture that Um, You are the one who heals the brokenhearted and you bind up their wounds. And and we ask all the way across the world, but we're asking today that you would bind up the brokenhearted in that place and that you would heal up their wounds, that you would be the Lord that they so desperately need at this moment and that they would call to you and reach out to you and find you so faithful and present in their lives. Help us to be people not of just prayer, but also of action as you Call us to be a part of what might be needed to be done there in response to the, the tragedy that's, that's happened with the earthquake. And, and we also remember today uh, the refugee situation in the Mediterranean and the tremendous loss of life. And our hearts are broken for people who come out of Ethiopia and Eritrea and cross Sudan and are eager to get to a place where they could have a better life. And in the midst of that, just short of that, their lives are cut short. And uh, there's so much abuse and human trafficking and all kinds of circumstances there. And so we bring them to your attention. We remember that you are uh, the God of the refugee, that Israel were refugees, Lord, and that you called them into your presence out of Egypt, and that Jesus had to take refuge in Egypt, uh, and then come back out again. And you said, out of Egypt I've called my son. The same place that we're praying for, you know what it's like to be a refugee. And so I pray, Lord, that these people would sense your compassion and your understanding in the midst of their trial and tribulation, that they might find comfort and fellowship with you. Uh, And that I pray you would provide a safe place as you have done so often in the past, you provide safe place for us. And would you provide a safe place 
whether it be changing the home environment in the country where they're from or providing a place elsewhere, Lord, we pray, we lift up to you these precious humans and and pray for uh, their safety and a safe place home. And we ask, Lord, that you would visit us here today as we're gathered together, thankful that we can gather in freedom and sing your praises and be your people. Um, Speak your truths into our lives, Lord, and your promises Help us to understand your blessed desire for us in this life, in this place, what you intend, how you intend to use us in the ministry, the redemption of all things, Lord. Open our hearts to it and visit us by your Spirit. We thank you, Christ, that you opened the way for the Holy Spirit to be present in our midst by going to that cross and dying that atoning death and cleansing from sin so that the Spirit could take up residence in us individually and collectively. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue to work in our lives, even now as we open your words in Scripture. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I was asking myself last night, as we're looking to the conclusion of this series, which is called Napkin Theology, and what we've been trying to do, if you haven't been a part of it, is answer the question, how do you respond when somebody says, what do you believe? How do you respond? What do you say? How do you answer that question? And so over the last five weeks, we have been drawing and and talking about how you answer that question, what do you believe? And I was thinking as we conclude this series today, why do we get into this? And and, and Lord, what was in my heart and our hearts as we started this series? And and I think it was a longing for the fullness of the relationship with Christ that is possible in this world. And and if we take out this idea of making disciples from our relationship with Christ, then we diminish that relationship. And so part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to be somebody who's sent, somebody who is longing to see others come into healing relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't take that out of what it means to be a follower. You can't take making disciples out of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's like trying to take oxygen out of the equation H2O. You don't have water anymore. You have something totally different, right? You have hydrogen, which is a very light kind. It is the lightest gas. And and we take making disciples out of our Christian walk. We end up with a very light kind of Christianity. It's not what it's intended to be. We've, we've got to be about what Jesus was about, and that's making disciples. And all disciple-making starts with a beautiful moment when somebody realizes who Jesus Christ is and places their trust, their faith, in Jesus Christ. It all starts with that moment. I want to talk as we finish this series about that particular moment, that beautiful moment. I know some of you, you've had that moment or you've had several moments like that. You don't know when exactly it happened, but, but somewhere along the line you came to faith in Jesus Christ. So there was a beautiful moment. I want to talk this morning about what that moment is like. Would you open up to Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll give one to you. It's on page 654 in that particular Bible that we hand out. Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. All right, a little background before I start to read this. I'm actually going to back up probably to about verse 5, just to give us a little bit of context uh, there on page 654 in Romans 10. little context, Israel uh, has shown great zeal for God. 
But Paul is saying in the book of Romans throughout that they have missed the essence of what it means to know God. Because, as Paul says, right relationship with God is a gift, and it's not something that somebody can earn or do. This is sort of review from our series. Um, There is no treadmill that you get on where you can start to do good things and right things that leads you into relationship with God. There's no treadmill that takes you up into heaven. Instead, God has come down to us and drawn near to us to initiate a contact and a relationship with us in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the framework out of which Paul is writing. Starting in verse 5, he says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That's what I'm calling the treadmill kind of righteousness where you just try as hard as you can to do what's right and good and to make it to God in that way. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And and by that he's suggesting, if that's the way that you're going to try and get to God, you're never going to make it because you're never going to be able to live it out perfectly. You're going to fall short. Nobody Nobody in this room, nobody in this world, save for Jesus, has been able to live out the commandments of God. So you can't get there by that way. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because, famous verse, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now that's by way of introduction. And then here's the the part that we're going to focus in on today. And, And let me say, when we're talking about being saved and salvation, this comes up in this passage frequently. We're, we're talking about being saved from separation from God. That is all of our greatest nightmare, is to be separated from the one who made us and has beautiful designs for us. So we're being saved in this life and in the life to come from separation from God. Verse 14. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Amen. Now, salvation is beautiful. Salvation from separation from God in this life and in the next. It's a beautiful thing. There's nothing more beautiful I can think of to talk about or reflect on. It's a beautiful invitation. But how does it start? How does the process of becoming a disciple, how does the disciple-making process start? And in this text, verses 14 through 17 are what we're going to focus on. There are three essential needs, three essentials that need to be present in order for that moment, beautiful, precious moment, when somebody comes to faith to happen. Now, I wonder how many of us have been in there in, in that moment. It really is quite remarkable to see when it's as if the light suddenly comes on or all kinds of metaphors that Scripture uses, the chains fall off, or the veil is removed, and a person suddenly sees who Christ is and believes and places their trust. I've I've had the privilege of being in this moment, even recently being in this moment, and to see the transformation in a person. there There is nothing in this life so glorious and so wonderful than to know that a person's Eternity has been radically transformed before your eyes. Not that you had anything to do with it, but that God has done this and to sit on the front row and watch this beautiful moment unfold is, I would say, of the greatest privileges that any human being can be given. And the wonderful truth is that every single one of you has been invited to participate in that work in the lives of others. This is not for pastors, okay? This is every single one of us. So what is that beautiful moment like? Paul describes it here in verses 14 through 17. The first essential is that we need a caller. Somebody to, to call on Jesus. That's, this is the easy part, right? We need somebody. Now, in this text we're looking, and all throughout the book of Romans, there are, there are two types that are contrasted. There's the, the Jewish person and then the Greek person, uh, and, and you'll see that they're actually, at the end of the day, they're both the same thing, but there's two different types who are being called upon here, and on the Greek side, um, you expected that person, at least the Jews expected that person, and Paul's audience expected that person to be far from God, because they worship pagan gods, they worship idols, when Paul would visit the cities, he'd see idols in the cities, and they're worshiping other gods, they're not worshiping this God, and so you would expect that they would be far from God, if you think about the parable of the prodigal son, uh, this is the prodigal son, the one who takes what God has given and runs what the father has given and runs away from the father and spends it on his own, sort of whatever he wants. That's sort of the pagan, the Greek sort of understanding of the relationship to God and and the brokenness that's there. It's running away from God to worship other idols, other things. But the revolutionary point that Paul is making in the book of Romans, and especially in this text, in many texts, is that the the Jewish person is far from God too. The Jewish person without faith is far from God too. Because the the Jewish person in this particular text, and and we have to be careful not to, I'm not saying 
I'm, I'm not saying that the Jewish person is unusual in this, which you'll see in a minute, because we all would behave, have behaved in that same way uh, in relation to, to what God had done. But the Jewish person in this text thought that by doing right, they would be, become close to God. So if I, if I obey and I keep the commandments, then I am in favor with God. And so in the story of the prodigal son, you have the younger son who takes what, what the father gives and runs away and spends it on himself, and so he's far from God. But then the twist in the story is that the older brother who stays home and outwardly always serves the father, he's far from God too. Because he thought that by his goodness, he would construct a relationship with the father. He thought that the reason that the father liked him is because he was so good. But Jesus makes very clear in that parable that underneath the attempts and the efforts to be good are all kinds of false motives and self-serving. And in that, he has been separated from God as well. So both the younger brother, the, the Greek, you could say, in this instance, and the older brother, the, the Jew in this instance, they're both separated from God. They're both potential callers, as it were. Both types are present in our environments too. They're, they're present in our churches and they're present outside of our churches. Um, you've met the younger brother type. I, I can't tell you how many times somebody said to me, oh, you're a pastor. I've never met a pastor before, right? Somebody who's unchurched and, and just hasn't had that experience, hasn't been in the community of faith. Somebody who's, who's far from God in that sense. And they're all around us because we live in a place where the participation in church is something like 2%. It's like Japan or some of these, Australia, some of these places where there are the least number of Christians. So I know that you know people in that category. Maybe some of you are here with us today, and that's wonderful. We're glad you're here. But then there's the other side, too. See, there's the, the, those that are like the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were sort of the Jews, turbocharged Jews. They were the ones who were doing the best to try and obey all the rules and, and pursue goodness and, and, and seek God and relationship with God through the doing of, of good things and, and being right. And it turns out that, that they're on the outside as well. And we have Pharisees in our midst. And we have Pharisees who, who even without realizing it are part of the church community. And maybe they grew up in the church and they've been doing the right things. And coming to church every week and thinking the right things so they hope. And, and reading their Bible all, all the time. And at the end of the day, at bottom they feel like, well, God probably must like me and accept me because I do all the right things. Some of us may be in that category. And the message of Paul is that, that we're far from God too if that's our, our way of getting close to God. And then we've got the people I call secular Pharisees who have a different set of rules. And in the Bay Area, we know there's all the kind of set of rules, you know, being a certain kind of Bay Area person, driving the right kind of car, you know, doing the right kinds of things, going loving the right kind of things. And, and, and people feel like if I do all those and I line them up and I'm, I'm a good person, then I must somehow be achieving uh, some sort of satisfaction and welcoming. Maybe God will give me favor because at least I'm not as bad as those people over there who waste water and, you know, all that stuff um, that we talk about, which wasting water is bad. Um, I do. I agree with that. Um, but you know what I'm saying. All kinds of people, we're, we're running away from God or we're thinking that we're running to God by being good. And Paul's saying that both kinds 
are potential callers. People who could have a moment of coming to faith. People we should be setting our sights on in love. And so the easy part for us is to find those people that are potential callers. This is the first ingredient that's necessary to have a beautiful moment of salvation. You need somebody who's going to call. And we need new eyes, eyes of the love of Christ we love because He first loved us, right? And so when we move through this world and we look at the people around us and there's a temptation to be Pharisees, to be judgmental, and what Christ is calling us to is to look at the people around us with His loving eyes and to look into their eyes and say, in there is a beautiful person made in the image of God who is hurting, suffering, without Christ separated from God, now and for eternity. And what Christ is calling us, what Paul is telling us, what God is calling us to as a community is to have our eyes transformed so that we see with the eyes of Christ. And we see every person in our midst as a potential person to call on the name of Christ and to experience the blessing that comes from that call of faith. And so I want to encourage you to think of those people even right now. And I want to encourage us in our home groups, when we get home group leaders, when you gather together, make time to pray for the people in our lives who are far from God. Make time for that. At the end of your group, we've trained you how to do that. Make time so that you can share with one another. These are the names of real living human beings that God has placed into my life who matter. And they pricked my heart. And I care about them. And they're my friends. And they're beautiful. And so can we pray together, home group? Can we pray for them? Can we ask God to pour out His Spirit and send them a special invitation. Maybe even through me. Send them a special invitation to be reconciled to God. So the first ingredient we need is a caller. Very important. The second one is we need a communicator. That's what Paul says here. I love how John Stott writes about this passage. What he does, we have see in verses 14, uh, a number of, of questions that are being asked. But how, but how, but how, and how, and how, and how. And, and, and what John Stott does in writing his commentary on this passage is he flips those questions around and he says this is what Paul is essentially saying is, is the process that, that, that somebody goes through in order for the gospel to be proclaimed and somebody be invited into faith, into relationship with God. He says, first of all, Christ sends a herald. He uses the word herald. That's somebody who proclaims. Those are synonymous terms and I'll explain the word, word herald in just a minute. Christ sends a herald, the herald proclaims the gospel, people hear the proclamation of the gospel, the hearer believes, the believer calls on God, and the caller is saved. That's the process. Christ sends the person, the person becomes the herald, the herald proclaims the gospel, the person hears it, and then the person responds, and then the person calls on God, and the person is saved. Now, a Christian, then, according to Paul, is a herald. Now, what's a herald? This is in the day, obviously, when there's no mass media, right? When something happens in the world now, within five minutes, we all know and we can look at various websites and get pictures, 
you know, the earthquake, whatever. Um, the moment it happens, um, if you have somebody connected there, you'll be hearing about it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And it's just amazing how connected. Now, try to imagine a world in which there is no media and no social media. How do you get your news? Well, the way that they got their news is that the, the news would be sent out through a herald, somebody who would bring the news. He would walk into the town. Everybody would go, oh, the herald's here. So they gather together in the center of town. And if it was news from a king, then he would uh, open the scroll, and then he would proclaim, here's the news. This is what's happened. This is the way it is. And everybody would gather around to listen to it. And so it was a special event because it didn't happen that frequently, and everybody was hungry for news from the outside, and it wasn't nearly so easy to get. So the herald had a very, very important role. The news came through the herald. Now, note that the herald is not an advisor. This is an important point when we're looking at this particular text and the concept of the herald and how it translates into our lives as Christians. The herald's not an advisor. The herald doesn't say, here's how you should live. The herald says, this is what happened and brings the news of an event that has already taken place. A very important distinction between the herald and the advisor. The herald doesn't say, you know, here's how you should live better necessarily. He says, here's what happened. Here's the news. And there is a great temptation when we think about the Christian faith to reduce it to uh, a set uh, of, of advice uh, or counsel that we give to people to help them live a better life. And when we do that, we end up diminishing what the Christian faith is. Because at the end of the day, while there is all kinds of good advice in the Bible, and there are all kinds of wonderful principles for how to live in the way that we were made to live, at the end of the day, it's not about advising as, it is, as much as it's about proclaiming something that's already happened. Proclaiming news, and it happens to be really good news, of something that has already happened. It's not principally about what you should do, although there's some of that in the Bible. It's about what's already been done in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we reduce Christianity in our conversations with others to giving them advice, oh, you're the Christian, maybe you can help me with this problem, which is a good thing, and we should try and do that. You know, if we reduce, though, Christianity just to giving people advice, then we miss the most powerful part of it. Because the power is in the gospel, which means good news. And news is something that you declare has already happened. That's where the power is. And so we have to be very careful that we don't reduce Christianity into just sort of becoming uh, dispensers of advice. But we're proclaiming something that actually happened that was news. We found out a few, well, probably quite a while ago. My mom has, um, she just turned 75, and she, her favorite place in the world is Hawaii. And so um, she's wanted to take us kind of a family reunion all to Hawaii with my brother's family. She's always had this dream of us being there for a chunk of time. And so recently she put it all together. She made it happen. And so we're going to Hawaii, the whole family. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, but uh, what if I came home and I said to my kids, um, you know, you should... We're, We'd like to go to Hawaii. You should raise money so that we can get to Hawaii. And 
way we're going to do is we're going to bake cookies. That's one of the ways that our kids raise money for things that they want to do. So we're going to bake 5,000 cookies, and we're going to go out and sell these cookies, and then we're going to go to Hawaii. That's what you should do. Now, imagine the emotional response of my children to that message, right? Imagine, the, yeah, <laughs> not so exciting. But what happens when I come and I say, guess what? Nana is taking us to Hawaii, right? That's a whole different thing. I just declared news. It's happening, right? It's not you should and if then and maybe we'll try hard enough and we might. It's already happening. It's already been declared. It's news. And that's who we are as followers of Christ. We're declarers of good news. We're communicators of good news. And, and I ask myself, well, why, God, do you send people like me to communicate this news. I am, as you know, flawed and broken. Um, I'm not a patient enough person, you know. I'm, I, I'm not selfless enough. I'm not, I don't know the Bible well enough. I forget what I learned in the Bible sometimes. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't pray all the time. Um, you know, I don't, I just, the list could go on and on and on and on. Why would you send somebody like me to be the one to communicate this message? And the big answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Why would God do this? It's crazy. He could have invented Facebook a long time ago, and, and then everybody friends God, and then you get to hear about the gospel, right? But he didn't. He said, you, and you, and you, and you, you're my instruments to communicate the good news of what I've done in Christ to the world. And then it's crazier than that even. Look what he says. Verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And you go, well, that's kind of a strange thing. Why would you say that? Because what are the feet? They're the vehicle that brings the person who preaches the good news. It's like when I come around the corner and, you know, I'm expecting some great part for my bike. I've been waiting for weeks because it has to come from Europe or something, and come around the corner and there's the UPS truck in front of my house and the lights are blinking and Paul is running. I know Paul's our UPS guy. He's running up, you know. <laughs> How beautiful is the brown truck bringing my thing, right? It's not really the truck. It's what it represents. And the feet are like that. How beautiful are the feet of the one who brings, preaches good news. God, you're so, why do you do these things? You pick us and entrust us with this incredible thing and send us out in our brokenness and our frailty and our lameness. And then you say, how beautiful, how beautiful it is for you to bring this news to a world that is lost and hurting and suffering and earthquakes and refugees and pain and self-sufficiency. And... 
how beautiful are the feet. wonder what it would be like to be called upon to carry the Olympic torch. What would it be like to get that phone call from the Olympic Committee? Hey, the torch is coming through Albany. And uh, we thought you'd be the person to carry the Olympic torch to run up Solano Avenue. Right? <laughs> Everybody's going to be lined up, and, and there you are carrying the Olympic torch. Right? What an honor that would be. you know that that pales in comparison to the torch that we've been given to carry. It pales in comparison to what we've been given to carry. The torch of the gospel that reconciles people to God. But we don't think of it like that. I don't. I forget how precious this is, right? Take it for granted. I think I'm carrying somebody that people wouldn't want or that is embarrassing or that whatever. It's not the case. We're carrying something precious. So we need a caller, and they're all around us. That's the easy part. We need a communicator. That's you and that's me, despite who we are. And then we need a catalyst. Catalyst. This, what's a catalyst? A catalyst is a person or a thing that precipitates an event. And the event here is faith. It's somebody coming to faith. That's the event. Now, the catalyst is that thing that precipitates that event. So an, uh, one analogy we could use is in a car, you have a spark plug. Uh, and so the gasoline gets compressed in the cylinder, but it's just compressed gas without some igni- ignition. And so the spark plug sparks, and it lights the fuel, and that explosion shoots the piston down and creates, generates the power that we use in our cars, right? But you need that spark plug in order for that explosion to take place. That's a kind of a, metaphorically, a kind of a catalyst, not in the technical scientific sense, but that is a catalyst. And, and the catalyst in that beautiful moment when somebody comes to faith, the catalyst in that moment is the word of Christ. Would you look with me? In verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see that? So the event is faith. That's what we're excited about, we're hoping for, and we're praying for. And the catalyst for it is the word of Christ. And that means both, it's sort of a comprehensive of there. It means the word uh, about Christ, where of which Christ is the content but it also means the word from Christ that Christ speaks. So it's, it's both of those. It's, it's all the word of Christ. It's in a global sense. That's what it refers to. It's both the content and the author. author. So if you want to give faith the best chance of happening in somebody's life, then we ignite that by injecting the word of God into the situation. You see? And, and, and that's, that's the best way to see faith become ignited. Uh, and it's, it's the actual word of God. I think it's important for us to say this. It's, it's not just the concepts that are in the Bible, although it's important to talk on that level as well. But it's the actual words of Scripture that we want to be sharing with people in the hopes that it would ignite 
their faith. 2 Timothy 3, 16. In fact, let me back up just a little bit to verse 14. Um, Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and then this, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the scriptures are that, that, that ignition point. And then verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I've seen this over and over again in, in my time as a pastor and just working with people. We'll be grappling with a, an issue or a problem and we'll pull out the Bible and we'll open up the Scripture and we'll go to that someplace that speaks to the heart of the issue and start to read. And I've been saying stuff up until that point, but when we're looking at the Scripture and we're reading the Word of God, something happens that's beyond what I could accomplish in my human words. It's beyond. I've seen it over and over and over again. I saw it recently this, this past week. Again, when we open these words and read them to people, where it's like the spark that ignites the faith. And so we can't leave this catalyst out of the equation. You remember what, when, when Jesus died and then he was raised again, and then the disciples are trying to figure out what is going on, and so Jesus appears to them, and they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and, and, and then afterwards they're reflecting, and Jesus is like opening up the scriptures to them as they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and he's, he's telling them all that's happened, and, and afterwards they're reflecting, and say, did not our hearts burn inside of us when he opened up the scriptures to us? See, that's that ignition, that's the, the fire of faith And that spark happens right before your eyes when you bring the Word of God into the conversation. And so when you're doing your napkin theology, um, and for those of you who haven't been here, we've been talking about how to share your faith on a napkin just in a simple way. When you're doing that, don't leave the Scriptures out. Bring the Scriptures in. Because it's the spark. And when you're talking to people, maybe you're in a situation where you can't do the napkin thing, but you just have to verbally speak. Don't leave the scriptures out. Bring the scriptures into the conversation. Have some particular go-to verses, like Romans 10.9. Wait, right here, we read, we, we read it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's very important for you to be able to say that or read that to somebody, that kind of a verse. I've got several, and that's one of them. 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. I've said that thousands of times to people as I'm in conversation with them. There's something about saying the actual words of Scripture. Um, Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We need to have some go-to Scriptures, and, and, and I want to encourage you and challenge you to memorize them. And if you can't, that's fine. Then, you know, open them up on your phone. That's just as great. But if you can memorize them, 
uh, then, and you can have them right on the tip of your tongue so, that, so that, that that spark plug can be brought into the conversation. Several weeks back, I shared with you a 25-minute conversation I had on the bike with all of my biking friends. And, and I go back and I remember, and what sparked that conversation is I quoted a passage from Paul. See, there's something about the Scripture that we just can't get away from. It's, it's, it's hearing the Word of God. Faith comes through hearing. That's what it says, the Word of Christ. So not only do you have a few go-to scriptures, but then you also want to have some go-to sections in the scriptures. So we talked about one already, Luke 15, the story of the prodigal. If you tell the story of the prodigal son, you will have the gospel right there tripping off your lips. You know, you remind me of this, or this conversation reminds me of this situation, and let me, let me explain it to you. Romans 7 and 8, beautiful description of salvation and for people who are struggling with doing good things and that being their idol. Um, and, and then Ephesians 1 and 2, just comprehensive. You're chosen, adopted, believe, redeemed, beloved child of God. Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 talks in that kind of language. How many times have I gone to that to say, look, I can't solve your problems, but look at this. Look what God says about you. See? Identify some of those scriptures, those passages that... Are key. And remember this, we are not, we are not the catalyst, right? In this, in this moment, we're not the catalyst. So relax. You can't make somebody come to faith. You can't do it. And that's freeing. But you have been, you've been called on to be a herald, to be a proclaimer. Because faith comes by hearing. So then let's let people hear, right? Let's let, there's all kinds of precious truth and wisdom in the Scripture. Let's let people hear it. I've been watching um, Deadliest Catch uh, again because it's back on. And I don't know what my problem is, but I'm obsessed with the show. Um, and I, I've seen every, every it's, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a show about crab fishermen in the Bering Sea. And so uh, it just started again a couple of weeks ago, so I've been catching the new episodes of it. And one of the things that they're always worried about is that they're out in the Bering Sea, which is the most, one of the most treacherous seas in the world, and if the engine stops, right, then you would think, well, you're in a boat, so you're going to float, right? But no, not so much, because if there's waves, you need an engine to be able to steer into the waves, you need an engine to be able to navigate, and it can be, if it's, if it's stormy, it can be very little time, and you're capsized and done if your engine goes out, if you lose that spark, right, for the boat the thing that keeps the boat going. There's no power. And, and when we're sharing the gospel, the word of Christ is that power. And we have to be careful that we don't leave it out of the equation. Otherwise, we're off in the middle of the sea sharing things with somebody and we're stranded and there's no power to be able to do it in the way that it was intended to be done. And so we can't leave the word out of the equation. We've got to bring it in. It's our hope. It's a spark. It's the power, Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's a power. Right? All right, Lord, would you meet us in this? Would you bring us together with a potential caller? Would you bring us together with, would you call us to be the communicator? Would you empower us to do that? And would you be the catalyst at the center, bringing faith? For any of us here this morning who've not yet come to faith, Lord, we, we just...
pause a moment to say, if now's the day, then great. God, you're listening and you hear us. And if in, if in the understanding of these truths, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Perhaps that's making sense to us and we're ready to own that statement, to confess with our lips and, and believe in our heart. Just know if you're here this morning and that's you, that God is listening. His posture is bent towards you, kind of like hand cupped to ear, waiting to hear you call out. We pray that as part of our, the fullness of living life with you and being in relationship with you, Lord, that you would, you would help us. You would help us to be the communicators you've called us to be. We want to experience the promise of blessing. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news, who bring the good news. We want to, be the, we want to experience the, the, the promise that you've spoken over us as your followers to be proclaimers of that good news, to, to actually be able to sit on the front row and see the transformation of a human life. We pray, Lord, that the people around us would miraculously become curious about the gospel and be asking us questions. And that we would be faithful in responding. That we would explain the gospel. And that we would, we would bring the word of Christ into the conversation. That word which provides a spark of faith. So God, meet us in all of this to draw us closer to yourself and to bring glory to your name, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.